Like if she saw my shirt right now, she would be mortified. <laughs> so would your preference be that we just put up the audio on the YouTube? I'm totally fine with whatever. <laughs> uh, I'll just send her whatever I want her to yeah. see. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That works. All right. This episode of the All About Nothing podcast is brought to you by GOT Sound Studio. GOT Sound Studio offers a variety of experiences, music, voice, and instrumental recording and production, video, and still photography. GOT Sound Studio has all of your media needs met. Owned and operated by Dominique Stewart, the Neek the Geek, experienced artists as well as up-and-coming will find everything they need to create. Bring your media needs to one of the most talented producers and engineers in the business, Neek the Geek. You can find details by visiting gotsoundstudio.com or calling 803-243-2302. You can also find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Recorded live from the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina, this is the All About Nothing Podcast. The views expressed on this program are the opinions of the host. Some content and subject matter may not be appropriate. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners are encouraged to follow the show at theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media and more. Listeners can call the show at 803-672-0533. Thank you for listening. All right, welcome to another episode of the All About Nothing podcast. I am Barry Gruber, and I'm today joined by Sydney Clinton, who is the Democratic nominee for South Carolina House Seat 98. Uh, Dorchester is the area that you're going to be representing when you get elected in the fall. Yes, it's Dorchester County, so it's the North Charleston Somerville area of Dorchester County. Okay, that's exciting. Uh, I assume that uh, everyone is very supportive. Yes, so <laughs> it was definitely a surprise to my parents when I told them that I was going to run. Yeah. Um, but very quickly they came around and they are 100% on board and all in with it. Well, that's good. That's good. I, I, I have had the same sorts of conversations with uh, family members about potentially running. And uh, it's gone from uh, tip, tepid, uh, lukewarm to, all right, we'll go with it. Um, so before we get really into the weeds on, on everything, um, there are three requirements that make you eligible to be a South Carolina House representative. Uh, of course, a citizen of the United States. You have to live where you're, where you're representing. Yep. And then you have to be 21. Right. And uh, based on everything that I've found so far, uh, you were born after uh, 9-11. That is correct. <laughs> I was born exactly a week after 9-11, so September 18th of 2001. So that means that there is absolutely no way that you could have any uh, uh, recollection of the towers or the Pentagon or... I'm sure you got to see Flight 93, uh, or what is it, United 93? I can't even think of the name of the movie now. The one that was about the airplane that crashed in Pennsylvania. I have no idea. Yeah, but <laughs> so 20 years old, running yeah. for uh, a house seat for the state of South Carolina. Uh, and that has to, I, I would assume that like among your friends, like you went to high school and you're in college with, like what was their reaction when you said, "I this is it? I, I can't do with not. <laughs> so I live with my high school best friend. Okay. Um, so when I came home that day after filing and I told her. Here in Columbia. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, she was over the moon excited about it. Um, most of the folks that friends with from high school, friends up here, they saw it when I posted it on social media yeah. about a week later. Yeah. Um, and everyone so far has been extremely excited for me. Um, 
they're all they're they just are excited to see somebody that they know yeah. running for office. I have to imagine you have an immense number of door knockers ready to go. Oh, I hope so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many people represented uh in in your district in 98? There's about 40,000 people in the district and that about is... 25,000 of them are registered voters. 25,000 registered. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then based on the t- statistics, sorry, stutter. Uh the statistics I saw um 55, 54% are women. Yes. In Dorchester in, in in district 98. Mm-hmm. Um but then I also saw that not that many turned out to vote in the previous election. Right. And and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Chris Murphy has run unopposed for, what, the last three terms? Yeah, he's run unopposed four of his six elections. Yeah. The last time he ran against a Democrat was 2014. And I, I didn't I didn't pull those numbers just to look, but I assume that it was it was it couldn't have been a blowout. Cause because your 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 area doesn't seem that red, except for the fact they just haven't had a choice. So I want to say in the 2014 election, he won by about 60% okay. um, of the vote, but the turnout is just so low. Yeah. And neither of the candidates in both 2010 or 2014 really, they didn't raise a whole lot of money. Um, they, from all accounts, they really didn't do a whole lot of campaigning. And so even though there was a Democrat on the ballot in those two years, there really wasn't, you know, a legitimate option for us. Right. Yeah. And in South Carolina, I feel like that happens more often than not that mm-hmm. we wind up having, uh, we wind up having candidates that are, um, taking up a position so that it looks like they're running against somebody, but right. they never show up with any signs. They never go and knock on any doors. Uh, so I get the impression that, that, that may have been the case in some of the elections that Chris Murphy had to, in, in the mm-hmm. two that he had to run. Um, I also saw Chris Murphy in the news recently mm-hmm. um, in the uh, in the fact that it looks as though he is definitely on board with uh, no exceptions when it comes to abortions, uh, an abortion ban. Yes. So he's chair of the Judiciary Committee in the House. Um, so they will be seeing that bill yeah. um, pretty, pretty soon. He has been endorsed by a handful of, you know, right to life groups. Sure air quotes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's no surprise that he's going to fall in line with the party and vote however they sure want. Yeah. And, and that is, that is unfortunate, uh, because I, I feel like they are ignoring half of the state. Absolutely. It, um, now if I say, if, when you're elected, mm-hmm. um, let's say all of the women retain their seats, how many women will be represented in the, in the house? It's not, it's still not a lot. Um, it's not a lot. I want to say it's like 17 yeah. or 20% of the South Carolina house, um, are women. Yeah. And the state is like 52% women. Yeah. Um, so it's still not really an equitable representation, at least gender wise. Yeah. Um, and of course with the Supreme court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, I think that that's going to wind up playing a big role. Um, and it sounds like, because legislature, South Carolina State House, is not in session right now. No. Uh, they're supposed to be home campaigning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that's one of the things that's probably going to wind up being one of the big debates on the floor mm-hmm. as long as there's enough representation to actually have a debate. Uh, right. As long as there's enough people to, to, to actually uh, argue for that. Um, but that means that South Carolina, we have to have that representation because otherwise it's going to, it's, it, it's just going to be a whole bunch of old, white men making right. these decisions. Uh, and I, I, 
fundamentally, I have I have issues with the overturning of Roe versus Wade because of all the precedent that that now sets. Agreed. Um, it takes away, you know, potentially liberties that that are in place because of the Fourteenth Amendment, and assumed that that's what it covers. And mm-hmm. and and the fact that that we have uh, we we have a party that is trying to undermine virtually every liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a uh, wealth of experience, college uh, uh, especially. What is one of the things when you are elected that you want to make sure that you are are pushing as far as your platform? Yeah, so, I mean, outside of really just trying to have priority to investing in the future of South Carolina, um, I think tangibly policy-wise, I want to see some common-sense gun legislation and some gun safety things. Sure. Um, as I'm sure most folks are aware, I have been extremely involved in the gun violence prevention movement here in South Carolina and across the country as well. Um, and, you know, gun safety legislation is a very easy thing to do. You know, yeah. the expansion of background checks and waiting periods and even just investing in community and hospital-based violence intervention programs will make a world's difference in the amount of violence and gun violence in particular we see in South Carolina. I also want to try and be creative when we were starting to talk about public education. I am a graduate of South Carolina public education. Um, I graduated from Fort Dorchester high school. Okay. And you know, we are failing our students because we don't invest in the teachers. We don't invest in the schools. We don't invest in the students. And so I think public education is one that I want to be at the forefront of, um, in terms of fighting for, you know, students and teachers and just public schools in general. Yeah. One of the big uh, debates I think that we're seeing now with the gun violence and its relation to public schools and and schools in general um, is this idea that we have to, in order to protect students, because it doesn't seem like we can get rid of the guns, uh, this idea of hardening schools, Mm -hmm. turning them into military camps or, or prisons. Right. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that I have proposed to other candidates that have come in is, you know, we have a we, we receive federal funding for our public schools because we instituted middle school programs. Um, we have uh, some of the uh, necessary um, meal programs that are being instituted or being paid for by the federal programs. Mm-hmm. Um, there is money available to the state that could potentially be used to let's say harden the schools, but in a way that isn't obvious to make mm-hmm. our, we, we don't want our children to feel like they are um, constantly in a, in a prison. We don't, we don't want to drop our kids off to school and have right. them, you know, escorted uh, under armed guard. Right. So from 2018 to 2020, I served on the Dorchester school district two's safety task force. Okay. Um, I was actually the only student invited to join that task force. And that was one of the big things that I was advocating against or, you know, metal detectors or, you know, bulletproof glass everywhere because students don't want to walk through metal detectors when they come into school. Your school is supposed to be a safe place. And there are things that we can do, making sure that exterior doors are locked properly, making sure that we're being safe on the school campus that doesn't require us to walk through metal detectors and feel like we are in a prison. Yeah. And I mean, Already students, you know, there's such a negative connotation with school anyways that why are we going to do even more harm 
to our students by putting them in an environment that they don't feel safe or comfortable in. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I, um, my, my children are homeschooled. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that we brought my son home was because, uh, there were several incidents over the course of, over the course of his first year in middle school Mm -hmm. where we would get notifications that there was a bomb threat at the school or there was a bomb threat at an adjacent school, which means that every school in the County Mm -hmm. goes on lockdown because you know, the, the, uh, I want to call it the, uh, the, the intelligence, uh, or lack of intelligence. Uh, I want to call it the intelligence. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to call it the intelligence. <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel like I'm, I'm demeaning them, but, uh, that ultimately the intelligence wasn't ever specific enough to which school it was, what student right. was involved. It was somebody saw something on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that then led them to say, Oh, we're going to lock the schools down. Um, and that got in the way of just education, and 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 we didn't we didn't like the fact that that was the environment that he was going. On. Now it's it's right. gone down a lot. We haven't we haven't seen near as many of those notifications, mm-hmm. but I still have to acknowledge that they're happening. Yeah. Um. And if it's not they're not happening at the school that he would be going to, they're happening at somebody else's school that we know. Yep. And I, I think ultimately that just makes it very difficult to 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 learn in. Um. I. Th- I don't, I don't know what the solution is to that. Mm -hmm. I know, I know the potential of metal detectors and things like that. I think those would benefit, uh, in security. I know that in other States that there are, uh, technology available that have cameras that will spot, that that will identify very specifically, um, people that shouldn't be in the school, Mm -hmm. that they run into a, a database that's available through the sheriff's department that will hit and say, that's an individual that clearly shouldn't be. And, and like you said, just locking the doors. Right. I mean, having, having one point of entry that not, not one point of exit, but one point of entry mm-hmm. specifically that, 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 you know, someone has to come in, go through an office, create barriers that, that potentially, you know, would get in the way of someone trying to harm children. Right. So actually my sophomore year of high school. Um, so 2018, the day after the shooting at Marjorie Stone and Douglas in Parkland, Florida, we actually, in the middle of our lunch period, which was an hour where the entire school was allowed to just roam about and go to teachers' classrooms to get tutoring or make up work or get mm-hmm. lunch or do whatever, um, our fire alarm went off. And after spending the entire morning talking about the shooting that had just happened in Parkland, like all of us froze because our natural reaction would be to, you know, exit the whatever right. room we're in or exit the building. And that's exactly what had just happened in Parkland. And then the following day, we had threats on social media that somebody was going to bring a firearm to the school. And that ended up really being the catalyst to my um, involvement in gun violence prevention work was just the fact that I felt 100% unsafe in my own school. Yeah, And there was nothing that 16-year-old Sydney could do except get involved in this movement. Yeah. Well, so. kudos to you because I, I think it takes a lot to, uh, one lead a group of people down the street to protest, you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 I don't want to call a protest. I, I, I ultimately, I have to believe that the people are recognized that there needs to be gun say, you know, safe responsibility right. when it comes to guns. Um, but then they get that second amendment thing in their head and they're like, Oh, well I get to own as many as I want and mm-hmm. I get to buy them whenever I want. And, um, as, and, and I'll just say that as, as a member of the NRA for decades, mm-hmm. I, and, and I say decades because you could be my daughter, um, <laughs> uh, for decades, um, 
the reason that I eventually stopped uh, my membership with the NRA was because specifically uh, I wasn't paying a membership to a club that supported my, or, or wasn't, it wasn't a gun club anymore. Mm-hmm. It had become, I was paying membership for them to spell, for, for them to spread propaganda right. that is specifically designed not for me to be able to own guns, but for me to be able to buy guns. They're doing this for the gun manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, in South Carolina, and I don't know if you know, but you know, is there an NRA influence in South Carolina as far as like state legislature that you've heard? I, I don't know if you know the answer. Well, I know Chris Murphy's endorsed by the NRA. There you go. So. That's- <laughs> That's, to what extent they're involved, really, um, he has been endorsed by I, them. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah. <laughs> so we know now, yes, Barrett, your answer is yes, the NRA <laughs> is involved. Uh, <laughs> uh, when it comes to um, some of the other issues, mm-hmm. uh, well, first let me ask you. So when you, you've ultimately, you've already started campaigning. Right. Um, what reaction are you getting from people when, when you, like people you don't know, but, but people that potentially will be your voters uh, what reaction are you getting from them when, when they see you? <laughs> so thankfully I look older than I am. Okay. Um, so typically on one-on-one interactions with folks or even in small groups without having mentioned my age, they assume I am a little bit older. Um, but once they find out that I am 20, um, it's been kind of hit or miss. I think that on one hand it is, or it can be inspiring to folks that, young people are getting involved in our legislative process in a way that really is unheard of. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, because of my age, it's seen as just a lack of, you know, overall life experience, which, okay, I'm 20, but you know, it doesn't diminish the fact that I am a part of this community. I'm a part of this state. Um, and that I, you know, I want this place to be better for me. I want this place to be better for my sister and for, you know, my future family, because, Right now, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and 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 one of the things that I've talked to uh, Ryan Thompson about mm-hmm. is that I do not believe that anyone should react to your age or Ryan's age uh, in a way that is a handicap. Right. Um, I think that because one of the big issues in South Carolina is schooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Carolina was recognized for years when I first moved here as having this corridor of shame. We mm-hmm. had so many schools that were failing all over. Right. I think that it is a benefit to having uh, individuals that potentially have been in school within the last 10 years because what we have right now is people in legislature in the state house mm-hmm. that haven't been in school right. for, I'm going to, decades. Decades. I and mean, almost half centuries for most right. of them. And so many of them, you know, are also the same people that send their kids to private schools right. instead of the public schools in their own communities. So if these schools aren't good enough for their kids, why are they good enough for anybody else's? Right. So, you know, having a student perspective, and again, I graduate of South Carolina public school and my sister's still in um, high school. You know, there's such a unique perspective and a, and a unique way for me to bring ideas to the table in a meaningful way that hasn't been seen. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's a similar reason why we want teachers involved in running for office and right. running for, you know, state house and, and county council and city council and school board is to have their voices involved. And it's the same, I think it's the same thing for students. Yeah. There is an experience level. I think that, that again, should not be viewed as a handicap. It should, your, your, your age, I think makes you, uh, 
exactly what the state of South Carolina needs because, again, we've been represented by old white men mm-hmm. for so long, and they don't. I don't I don't value their opinion on what they think school should be because how separated how many degrees of separation from their great grandchildren in school. Sorry, that's probably too far. (laughs) Uh, But ultimately, I I, one of the one of the other issues I think that's going to be a big one and and we discussed it uh, is is Roe versus Wade and abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's going to fall on the states and having more women, younger women. Uh, representing South Carolina in the state house, I think, uh, again, there's a lot of value to that in, mm-hmm. in what decisions need to be made because it can't just be, and, and, and I'm not against people's religion or, or recognizing that they may have an opinion based on their evangelical faith. Right. Uh, but I don't believe that that should come in play to politics when it has to do with health. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I mean, there's a separation of church and state for a reason. And when we're talking about you know, health and women's reproductive health rights, you know, your religious beliefs cannot and definitely shouldn't, you know, be projected onto somebody else. Right. And I mean, to your point about, you know, female representation in the state house, we just saw the ad hoc committee that created the full ban for abortions, um, to, for house bill 5399. And, Eight of the eight of the twelve members on that committee were men, right? Which is absolutely bizarre because you, not a single one of them have any idea what it's like to be a young woman in the state of South right. Carolina who, you know, is losing all of her reproductive bodily autonomy. Right. So I mean, just by not having enough women in the state house to be equitable in that representation, we are we're completely failing all of the state of South Carolina. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I have uh, daughters that are going to be eight in October Mm -hmm. and the idea of uh, raising them in a state that uh, potentially has uh, devalued them when Mm -hmm. it comes to their liberties, especially, or, or just not acknowledging the fact that, you know, health is going to be a serious concern. You know, I, I, when when they say that they the 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 ban on abortion in South Carolina no uh, exceptions whatsoever mm-hmm. to incest or rape, um, I get it. We're not we're not Arkansas or West Virginia or you know the state where that's that's a that's a cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all it is. It's a cliche. Right. It goes on here too. Uh, it goes on in Ohio. I mean, mm-hmm. we 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 just saw Ohio a ten year old who yep. was raped by her uncle uh, had to go to Indiana for a um, an abortion. Right. And the idea that the entire state of Ohio seemed willing to, not the entire state, but the representatives Mm -hmm. in that state seemed willing to accept that this 10 year old who was involved in something she had no control of is now going to have to give birth to a child, potentially not even the health impact that that has. Uh, She's already going to go through mental impact, Mm -hmm. but the health impact of carrying a child full term at the age of 10, I, I, you know, I have to believe that someone with some common sense would say, no, wait, this doesn't make sense. It's, I mean, it's actually asinine to me. And I mean, the ad hoc committee chairman, um, John McCravey's comments um, within the last couple of days about the lack of exceptions about, you know, rape being a tragedy and, and a access to abortion turning one tragedy into two tragedies. It 
like I have no words to to describe the absolute anger I feel in that because John McCravey has no idea what it's like yeah. to deal with sexual assault or deal with rape. And for him to just kind of, you know, wipe it off as, oh, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Sucks to be a woman. You've got to, you know, lose bodily autonomy to then, you know, not even have bodily autonomy to make yeah. decisions about your own health and well-being. I have I have been floored by the number of news reports that I've seen lately of the women that are uh that are basically getting their their tubes mm-hmm. either tied or taken out completely uh based purely on the fact that if they don't have access to something that potentially could save their lives, right. then then why why have the call why why cause that? Right. I mean the fact that at 20, almost 21 years old, I'm sitting here and genuinely concerned that I will never be able to start a family in the state of South Carolina because I'm not going to bring children into a world, into a state that doesn't, you know, protect them, They that doesn't value them, that would rather see them as an unborn fetus than, you know, a six, six-year-old or a sixth grader or whoever walking through the halls of school, because it's not like we're going to actually take any steps to protect the people that are here walking around. Right. We're not going to expand access to healthcare. We're not going to ensure that there's gun safety legislation. We're not going to ensure that, you know, kids can go to college and be able to afford their student loan debt and be able to try and live. I mean, it's just, it's so bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to go back to the fact that, one, you're running mm-hmm. against someone who has run unopposed for the last three terms and right. out of out of the six terms four times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you saw this. I, I tweeted this out earlier, which I found appalling, um, that, that basically South Carolina has had um, so many opportunities to run. Yep. But in, in 2020, we had 49 Republicans win their seats unopposed. We mm-hmm. had 23 Democrats that also won. Right. Um, but 49. Like, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, well, there's I, I see a lot of people running this time. There's there's no way that's going to be repeated until I saw there are 46 uh, Republicans running oh in 2022 unopposed. And nine additional Republicans running unopposed for their first time. That's crazy. The Democrats unopposed has dropped to 17 for this election, um, which, you know, that's 55. That's 55 wins off right off the bat right. without a vote being cast. Right. And I I am. So I applaud you for running Thank because <laughs> no, because ultimately, if you hadn't, I mean, you didn't primary. Nope. Um, Ryan didn't primary. Uh, it, there is there is something uh, to be to be the first to do it. I mean, I get you're not the first Democrat to run in that seat, right. but but it's been it's been what, 6 years. Mm-hmm. And I I I just I don't understand this idea of just giving free me either. 10 it's it's and <laughs> it's not either. it's not really any money. It's $10,000 is piddly. Right. Uh, and I get you're only working for what, 3 to 6 months potentially. Yes. It's it that, you know, and then I see how much money some of these campaigns are raising. Like it's insane in in unopposed insane. in unopposed districts. Um, your campaign, I assume, has started asking. You're you're, you're taking in donations now. Yes, I've seen your Act Blue. Yep. Uh, I've put links in our 
uh, in our, our, our show notes so that they can, we can get fantastic. And, and I, I, I basically, one of the things I want to make sure is that, that people are going and, and finding this link and making mm-hmm. those three fifty twenty 20, you know, whatever, right. however much money, because it it's, it's not just your district that you're representing. It's mm-hmm. women in South Carolina. It's, 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 it's people under the age of 43. <laughs> it's people, but it's, but it's people with the same ideals and the, and the, you know, right. so it, it, it doesn't just have to be people in your district donate mm-hmm. into your campaign. Correct. This, this can, you know, there's, if, if Mitch McConnell can pull in millions of dollars from China for his yep. campaign, then <laughs> why, you know, why, why not you? I got plenty <laughs> of listeners in India that you, they could visit your webpage and make donations. I'm sure that they'll take PayPal. Um, <laughs> but, but that's, so that's, that's one of the things. How, how much have you seen, have you seen as far as donations come in so far as of today, July, the what today? 20, what is today? I think the 21st. The 21st. Okay. <laughs> July 21st. So we have raised a little over $8,000, um, with just over a hundred donation or donors oh, that's um, great. total. So I have been absolutely blown away with the, the support that we've gotten so far. Um, and I know there are plenty of folks who are probably scoffing at only $8,000, but no. I mean, the last two Democrats to run, neither of them raised more than like $2,200. See? So the fact that I've nearly tripled both of them combined in my first three months is pretty impressive. No, that's fantastic. I'm really pleased with where we're at so far. Um, Obviously, I want the donations to continue to come in. Um, But I've been very, very pleased with it so far. And, and, and that's not, okay. So, so one of the things I have to stress because I have looked at campaigning, Mm -hmm. um, the donations that are coming in, um, that's not, that's not paying for, um, uh, that's not money that's, that's given to you. This is money that goes towards signs. This is money that goes towards, honestly, I, I, I campaigned for Bernie Sanders Mm -hmm. in 2016 and in 2020. And I know that every bottle of water that was handed to me was accounted for when we would walk neighborhoods or if I was phone banking and somebody handed me a soda, mm-hmm. they were keeping track of all that because that's you, that's what you have to do. But right. so, but eight thousand dollars buys a lot of buys a lot of water. Uh, yes. Okay. It does. Not not as much as it did several <laughs> years ago, but um, but so uh, you said that August first is when you're going to actually start. You're going to this going to be your big kickoff. Yeah, that's the plan. So we had like a campaign launch party back in April, um, like the twenty twentieth or twenty first somewhere that week. Um, and it was phenomenal. Um, there were probably 25 or 30 people who came to just one of the local restaurants, um, in the district. Cool. And so that was kind of the launch of the campaign and we're really going to get going, um, August 1st on door knocking. Um, I want to be a candidate. I want to be a representative that is in touch with the district and is accessible to the district. So that's kind of our plan moving forward. Well, that's that, that is very exciting. We're going to take a break. We're yeah. going to come back um, and we're going to discuss more of the platform as far as uh, what you're campaigning. And also I want to, I want to, I want to get into uh, uh, more in depth as far as like we've, we've talked about people's uh, uh, but there are businesses mm-hmm. in, in, in your district. Right. Um, and, and I just want to ask some questions about that, but yeah. terrific. Uh, you're listening to the all about nothing podcast. I am with Sydney Clinton, who is the democratic nominee for district 98 in uh, South Carolina. We will be right back. 
All right, Nothingers, I want to cue you in about a friend of the pod, Blank Canvas Brand. If you own a business or restaurant and the time has come to build that unique brand, you have got to get a hold of Blank Canvas Brand. Blank Canvas Brand specializes in brand identity, including logos, business cards, flyers, and anything else to promote your business. And now, Blank Canvas Brand offers printing services to help with your clothing needs, including sports teams. I can tell you from our own experience, Blank Canvas Brand is responsible for our logo, as well as the Bowl of Duty bowling team logo, and we couldn't be happier with what's been produced. For more information, you can search Facebook for Blank Canvas, or you can email Blank Canvas at theallaboutnothing.com. That's B-L-N-K-C-A-N-V-S at theallaboutnothing.com. You can find links in the Friends of the Pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick moment to mention one of our new sponsors, ThePaintedMoment.com. That's ThePaintedMoment.com. Check this out. Have you ever taken a photo with your phone or digital camera that would look amazing as a watercolor canvas painting? Well, now there's a website ready to take your photo and turn it into digital painted moments. This is how it works. Visit ThePaintedMoment.com, follow the instructions, and your digital photo will be enhanced and returned to you with links on where you can have an image printed to canvas or whatever else you'd like to do with it. We've already got a couple of these enhanced photos hanging around the house, and trust me, you'll love what comes out. ThePaintedMoment.com. Create a painted moment in time from your digital photos. ThePaintedMoment.com. Seriously, check them out today. ThePaintedMoment.com. What is a vaccine? What is a virus? What is a mask? What's a Sasquatch? These are all valid questions, and to answer them in one breath, prevention, potentially deadly, potentially life-saving, and don't be stupid. Look, the coronavirus from 2019 has caused a global pandemic that continues to ravage our planet, leaving victims and survivors. But you can do your part. In the United States, as well as most countries around the world, the COVID-19 vaccine is available at little to no cost. Regardless of your politics, this virus has the potential to cause irreparable harm to you and vulnerable family members and friends. We have an opportunity through the efforts of medical science to balance the scales against this disease and its variants. And look, I don't understand how the vaccine works, even though I've heard it described countless times by countless experts. And even though none of that makes any sense to me, I do recognize that the money and effort spent on the vaccine has not been wasted. And it's not a global positioning transmitter being embedded in your arm. You're holding that in your hand, listening to this. So get the vaccine. Protect yourself. Protect your loved ones. Hell, protect the guy standing behind you waiting on his Taco Supreme and nacho fries. Let that be the reason his organs shut down. For more information, visit covid19.nih.gov for actual science information. We have to thank our sponsor, GOT Sound Studio, and its owner and operator, Dominique Stewart, better known as Neek the Geek. GOT Sound Studios offers a variety of recording experiences from music, voice, and instrumental recordings and production, as well as podcasts. GOT Sound Studio is located in Columbia, South Carolina, and operated by the most talented producer and engineer in the business. GOT Sound Studio is a black-owned business. Bring your recording business needs here. You can find details on their Facebook page or by calling 803 803- 243-2302 or emailing gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com That's gotsounds at theallaboutnothing.com You can find links in the friends of the pod section of our website. Visit theallaboutnothing.com Yeah! It's your boy D-Rock Santana checking in for the morning after pill. Yo, make sure you check out the All About Nothing podcast with Barrett, Zach, and Trent. It's up. All right, welcome back to the All About Nothing podcast. I'm joined here by Sydney Clinton. Uh, any relation? 
now. Oh, I'm so sorry. well. My <laughs> grandfather's name is Bill. Um, uh, Bill Clinton. There's a he Bill just, Clinton. He he's not the Bill Clinton that everybody knows. Yeah, he thinks he is. You know. <laughs> But what, no they, relation to the actual Clinton. Do, do they live in the district? Can you get an endorsement from Bill Clinton? No. Oh, he, that's a shame. He's out in Kansas. But that's I do, like, if you go and look at my ethics reports, there is a Bill Clinton monthly donation of $100. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> Bill <laughs> Clinton great. is on there. <laughs> but again, no relation. That's very funny. Uh, all right. Uh, so during the break, we just had some discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh the we I want to I want to get into the infrastructure because okay. that's one of the things that you're campaigning on, right? Um, and I I have to be honest, I I think South Carolina roads are awful, but yes, but I came from Georgia where everything is under construction all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your district specifically, um, you mentioned that traffic is just an issue, yes. and it's it's it, it it could it could use an investment. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we in District 98, it's a very suburban area and we're kind of situation right between the growth coming up from the peninsula of Charleston and the growth coming out in the Cane Bay next in Somerville area. And so we're really just being squeezed from both sides and nothing has really been done to the main road in the district, which is Dorchester Road. Um, I know I mentioned to you earlier I live like two miles from my high school yeah. and I used to have to leave like 45 minutes, you know, before school started to get to school on time going two miles down the road. I mean, it's literally two stoplights or three stoplights. That is ridiculous. And it just, no matter what time of day you're on Dorchester road, you're going to get stuck in traffic. Yeah. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And I mean, because our state legislature refuses to invest, you know, these federal dollars that we have or to allocate those funds with any kind of urgency, all of us are having to pay the price because gas isn't cheap. Right. So we're wasting gas sitting in traffic. We're wasting time sitting in traffic. It's not great pollution. No. And I mean, we pay like we've got like the 25th highest car insurance rates in the country. <sighs> That's because for- you're not the, driving anywhere. Well, the I cars mean, are sitting. Well, that. But I mean, if you're, we're driving on roads, you know, littered with potholes. Yeah. Yeah. Car insurance rates go up, and it's just like it's a very easy thing to just, you know, invest in our society tangibly with infrastructure. So when you're campaigning, mm-hmm. um, how how would you present that information as far as like to someone who is potentially on the Chris Murphy side of things to say, what would you tell them as far as what you, what you want to do? Well, I mean, I think the first part is that infrastructure really shouldn't be a, an overly political or partisan topic because all of us drive these on these roads. All of us have to get from point A to point B at some point during our day. And so it's really up to all of us. And, you know, up to this point, nothing has really been done to help alleviate the traffic or, you know, the quality of the roads across the district and across the state. So obviously something isn't working. Yeah. So why don't we try something new and see what we can do? And I mean, I think, again, one of the benefits of me being young is the fact that I have the ability to not be bound to political allegiances or, you know, 
no one's put money in your pocket yet. Right, okay. right. <laughs> so, I mean, I have the benefit of being able to be creative and think about, okay, where does South Carolina and where does this district want to be in five years and 10 years and 20 years and how do we get there? Yeah, and you mentioned that there are a lot of very large businesses that are right on your doorstep, Volvo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how, how close to you all with, well, you're near North Charleston. So Lockheed Mm -hmm. Martin is not far. Right. So again, we're like the North Charleston Somerville border. Yeah. Um, so we've got the air force base right there. We've got Bosch, we've got Boeing, there's Volvo, Mercedes. Um, I mean, there's, there's a ton of, you know, businesses and, and economic development across the, you know, the whole low country region of South Carolina. And, you know, in a more, you know, intangible infrastructure topic, we're really not doing anything to develop the workforce. Right. And when I talk about some issues, I always think about how everything is just tied together. So, I mean, public schools, for example, you know, our graduation rates are extremely high, especially in Dorchester District 2. And my high school had like a 90% or 92% um, graduation rate. And our math and reading percentage of, you know, being able to read and do math at a, you know, the level you should is like 60%. So we're, you know, we're letting these kids graduate that are not prepared to go into the workforce and are missing out on quality paying jobs from Boeing, from Bosch, from Volvo, from Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, all of it's tied together. It's, it's, it's not, it's not utilizing the businesses that are there to put the wealth back into the community. Right. Um, yeah. I, and I, I ultimately, I, I, I see that in, in lots of different places where mm-hmm. these large companies, BMW went into the upstate Yep. and when BMW came into the upstate, they brought in a workforce. Uh, it wasn't, they didn't just hire people from around uh, the, the Clemson, Greenville, Spartanburg area. They, right. they, you know um, so giving, those businesses a reason to invest in the communities mm-hmm. is is big right um locally smaller businesses mm-hmm. um you mentioned that you had your a kickoff in april uh at, at just a local restaurant yeah we had it at like a kick and chicken <laughs> down, down the road that doesn't sound bad <laughs> honestly it was great because the wraps that they have are fantastic so we were able to have a whole bunch of little appetizers uh, and, and wraps so it that's was convenient good. um other businesses, I mm-hmm. assume, uh, because uh, there is going to be opportunity to campaign. Right. Well, before I get to that, um, as far as the infrastructure, do you have any idea what Chris Murphy has done over the course of his career in the state house to try and bring or, or bring bills to light that would potentially bring money to the district in order to assist with roads? From what I've been able to find up to this point, nothing really. So I didn't find any either. Okay, I, so I'm not just missing it. No, it's 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 really disappointing when I yes. when I do a search into a number of these candidates, they're incumbent candidates that have not had to face off against anyone. I find that in the span of their sessions, there's virtually no work getting done. Yep, they will they're they're happy to get in front of Post and Courier or in front of the state and mm-hmm. say something you know that'll get them attention. But Chris doesn't even really do that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he did last week. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but uh and 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 by the way, Chris Murphy, you are welcome to come on to this show <laughs> for exactly the same amount of time that we've given to Sydney. Uh you are welcome to come on and uh allow me to ask you questions as well. So uh just wanted to put that out there before we get too far <laughs> into the program. 
that's one of those weird things we have to offer. Yeah, and it happens. I feel certain he's never gonna he's never gonna contact us. Um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so um, we talked a little bit off air about um, legalization of marijuana. Right. Um, I'm sure you're well aware that in the last session, South Carolina had the opportunity mm-hmm. to bring a bill uh, to fruition that would have legalized medical marijuana. Right. Um, it was stopped in the house because procedurally the house is the only is the only legislative body in South Carolina that can present any bills that would potentially have an effect on the budget. Right. At some point after your election, would you be willing to either sponsor or co-sign a bill to legalize medical marijuana procedure, you know, following all the proper procedures because it's a budget bill or something? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know the the medical benefits of the medical use of marijuana and even, you know, take it a step further when you start talking about the decriminalization right. of medical or of marijuana, excuse me, um, you know, the criminalization of that drug is so deeply rooted in very intentional, oppressive policies and to be able to take a step and, you know, expunge nonviolent drug offenses related to marijuana would, I mean, the impact that that would have on South Carolinians is, you know, is massive. And so definitely would, would be down to sponsor, co-sponsor, um, the medical, use of marijuana and probably even the, the decriminalization and recreational use. Yeah. I think, uh, and a lot of people don't know this and would probably be, so South Carolina is one of four States in the entire country mm-hmm. that marijuana is completely illegal. Right. Like, uh, and I, I, I didn't know that when I moved here, that would have changed a lot. Of <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the gun violence that, uh, that, that we see going on, mm-hmm. um, because the, uh, the, the, the constitution protects the second amendment. I've right. had, I've had conversations about, you know, the, one of the reasons they overturned Roe versus Wade because they use this idea of literal, mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't anything literal in there protecting women's right to an abortion. There wasn't right. any, there isn't anything literal, uh, protecting people's privacy. Um, I have read the second amendment over and over and there isn't a mention of the word gun. Right. Uh, so, at some point, I would hope that there is a Democrat that's willing to stand up and or, or maybe even in the Supreme Court and say, you know, as long <laughs> as we're looking at these things literally, I'd like to point out the fact that I prefer that people just walk around with the ripped off arms of of, of native bears and things just <laughs> they're going to bear arms. Um, so we support a waiting period. Right. Um, and this is something I brought up before. I did not know that. There was not a waiting period uh, in, like, when I grew up, mm-hmm. I, 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 there was always this talk about waiting periods. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that there was waiting periods. Did you? Did, okay, so in 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 your experience, have you grown up around guns? So my my parents are not firearm owners. My grandparents are um, Kansas, Alabama, Alabama. Oh, yes, well, yes, Phoenix City, Alabama. Um, <laughs> lower Alabama. Yeah. I was going to say, did it rise up from the ashes? Is that a, is that why they named themselves Phoenix? No idea. That's okay. No, but it's also not even spelled correctly. Oh no. (laughs) Well, I guess at least it's not the word. It's not, it doesn't start with an F. Right. Uh, okay. No. Um, I, you know, the exposure to firearms that I really had was between, you know, conversations because 
my dad is a retired Marine. So, you know, my entire life has been spent around the military. And so conversations related to firearms in the military and then a little bit with my grandparents and firearms. Um, But it wasn't until 2018 when I got involved in the gun violence prevention movement that I really started to understand the nuance of gun safety legislation and gun policy and the second amendment and everything that it kind of entails. So it was, I don't want to say like a culture shock, but it was more of just, you know, eye opening to see how little protection there are protections for people that, you know, preventative, right. right, right, right. Preventative. Yeah. And so, you know, being in Charleston when the mother Emanuel shooting happened, right. I was, you know, going on 14. Um, it was just like, how could this possibly happen? And then in 2018 with the Parkland shooting and seeing it could happen anywhere. Right. Um, I mean, again, it, w- it was eye opening to, to dive into all of the nuance of, of gun legislation. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things I think that I am, I am the most, shocked by is the reaction to um what happens or or what people's reaction is to like evaldi mm-hmm. uh or parkland or you know uh down the mother emmanuel church right is the reaction is almost always you know how does it how could it have happened here mm-hmm. like why did you know why you know why here well right. my answer and i feel cynical but it's always it's going to happen it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Ultimately, if the gun manufacturers are able to inundate the country, we have we have more guns in this country than we have people. people. And the fact that the you know ultimately it, the way that we're going, it's going to happen everywhere. Mm-hmm. There there isn't anywhere that's going to be safe. Uh, so there ultimately needs to be something to curtail. And I, I know that everyone goes to, well, it's mental health. We need to, we need to, and I completely agree. I mm-hmm. think that mental health in this country has been abandoned. Agreed. Uh, we we're, we're right down the street from what was one of the largest state mental health facilities in, in the South, mm-hmm. uh, which was ultimately shut down because of the abuse. And I don't, I don't attribute the abuse to the people that were there because they wanted to abuse people. But mm-hmm. just the fact that there was this, there was this idea that, I don't like my cousin. My cousin's up to getting money from my aunt and my cousin, you know, I, we, we still have, we still have doctors that will, will, you know, a woman's period, they look at it as hysteria. Right. Like they will diagnose it as hysteria. Right. So hysteria comes and they check them into the, 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 the facility. I'm not saying that, you know, they were inundated with so many patients mm-hmm. that, yeah, they looked at it as abuse. It's neglect. Right. But mental health in this country is being neglected. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately you have to figure out how to how to attribute the mental health to the gun violence. You can't just say, "Oh, it's a mental health issue." Right. You can't just toss that out there and say it's a mental health issue, uh, and and that's what we need to address. Okay. Well, then fine. <laughs> then address it. <laughs> right. Do something to address right. it. Right. Actually, do something. And I think the thing that bugs me the most about gun violence, in particular, and the conversations that we have after every you know mass shooting that we see is you know, well, this isn't going to work. It's not going to solve every single shooting. So why bother? Right. Well, if we can decrease the amount of people being shot and killed in America by one, then it's worth it. Right. Yeah. If you're going to save one life, then, then let's save right. that one life. Cause that one life might be yours or your child or your loved ones. Somebody right. like that. Um, I also am in favor of potentially, because I don't know if it's going to get 
done at the federal level, but a state sponsored um, database yes. for firearm mm-hmm. owners uh, that is a serial number tied to an owner. Uh, as well as potentially requiring insurance for someone Mm -hmm. for every single firearm they own. Yes. So that is something, I mean, cars, right? Like we have like the VIN numbers or whatever on the cars. And it's just crazy to me that we view firearms as just like everyone gets one, which again, like I'm not... I'm never going to say, I want to take your guns away. I, I will never say that. What I do think we need to do is be very intentional with making sure that there's safe and responsible gun ownership. Yeah. And that includes, you know, extending a waiting period for a background check to be completed by minimum, minimum 48 hours. Yeah. And it's crazy because every time I talk about waiting periods and background checks, it's you know, it's such an inconvenience, blah, 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 blah. 98% of background checks are completed within the first 90 seconds. Right. Correct. Of that remaining 2%, 98% of that are, you know, take the full 72 hours. Yeah. But it's that 2% of 2% that may need a couple more hours or a couple more days. And it could be the difference between life or death. Right. And it's like 2% of 2% of firearm purchases that are being quote unquote inconvenienced. Yeah. What, what sort of, uh, honestly, I've, I've purchased many firearms Mm -hmm. over the course of my adult life. And, um, I was never, there was not a waiting period that impacted me enough, uh, that, that it was, that it was, you know, absurd. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I, I, I think the longest period I had to wait was because they had to make the phone call twice. Yeah. Um, and I know that when it comes to that waiting period, people look at it when, when it's introduced as an idea, they look at it as an infringement mm-hmm. rather than something that is designed to potentially save someone else's life. Because the statistic that I keep seeing when it comes to these firearms that are being sold is that they're being sold legally. Mm-hmm. Almost every one of these mass shooting that's occurred in schools yep. have been, have been acquired legally. Um, and the likelihood that, if those firearms had been on delay, mm-hmm. that there is the potential that they would not have followed through with something the next day. Right. Uh, I think Parkland, he made the purchase within hours. Mm-hmm. Um, Dustin, D- uh, Dylan Roof bought his gun the day before yeah. or the day of. Uh, I think it was the day before. Um, and it seems like it might be a little too easy to get past these background checks when it comes to the mental health issue, because it's just a question. It's a questionnaire. It says, you know, have you, uh, have you ever been diagnosed with, you know, some sort of mental disorder Mm -hmm. and you say no, well, there's no mental health check on it uh, because we don't have a database available of, you know, potential target, you know, people that have, have had that. And to, to your point, you know, when we start talking about what do we need to do, comprehensively to address gun violence and violence in general, it's not just having an additional 48 hours. We need to have things like extremist protection orders so that if you recognize in a friend or a family member that something's off and they have access to firearms, you can contact law enforcement and they will temporarily suspend your fire, take your firearms for, 
you know, however long it takes for an investigation to go on to make sure that you're not a threat to yourself or others. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Right. And then, I mean, take it a step further and you start talking about hospital and community-based violence intervention programs. And we've seen in cities all over the country, in Boston and Baltimore, um, over on the West Coast, and and investing in these programs who, you know, these are people that are more than likely victims or survivors of gun violence and had experience with gun violence um, and being able to interact and create relationships with people who are at risk for becoming victims of gun violence. And I mean, there is a school in Baltimore, um, like a middle school that had a violence intervention kind of program from parents who are volunteering at the school who just kind of hung out during in the halls during their class exchanges and the amount of fights they saw, like the percentage of fights that it decreased yeah. was like double digits. It was incredible. And I mean, we have programs here in South Carolina, at local levels across the state and MUSC is doing one with their rising or I think it's rising tide, their rising tides program Okay, that, they're all doing this work. They just don't have the support and we have to be able to approach gun violence or any, you know, difficult situation with a comprehensive look and be able to see, you know, the forest for the trees and not get so bogged down with one tiny piece. And so, you know, it's frustrating, especially being involved in the gun violence prevention work here in South Carolina. I mean, no one's willing to compromise on anything to try and protect and save lives. Everything is an infringement. Right. And what's crazy too is the fact that like the second amendment says it's like for the security of a free state. Right. How can we really be a free state if I'm afraid every time I walk out of my front door, I'm going to get shot. And you know, I don't even have to walk out my front door. I had, there was a shooting at my apartment complex a couple months ago that hit my air conditioning unit. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I could have been sitting on my porch. Thankfully, none of us were home, but I mean, sitting, I, sleeping in your bed, sitting on your porch, walking around, going yeah. to school. I, 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 I find that awful. Yeah. The fact, me too. <laughs> uh, because I, I, I recognize that while I have not been affected by gun violence, mm-hmm. I have, I, I have, I have, you know, I have to play the white privilege card because I feel like I've never, I, I've never been in a position where, right. where that's happened. Um, and I've lived in some pretty bad apartments, but it mm-hmm. didn't happen. Uh, not while I was awake at least. Um, <laughs> but there is, yeah, there is, there's this ideal that any, any sort of barrier to people being able to purchase more guns is, is some sort of an infringement. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned the, the free state. Well, that didn't even really the biggest the biggest part that I find that I find about people buying purchasing guns is this idea that they're doing it to protect themselves. And I I I I would find it difficult to believe that any of them are a good enough shot. I know there was this report with some kid at a mall or something like that where he just happened yeah. to be that good guy with a gun. And and they keep drawing to that story. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and it's like, okay, you got one. Right. There have been 300 mass shootings where that did not happen. Yep. And even the people who are supposedly trained and their their entire jobs are to protect and, you know, keep people safe. We saw it in Uvalde right. and, and nothing. And the thing is, I just had to do a, an active shooter training 
um, and they were talking about this. And this is okay. So, where did you do active shooter training? Was this at for- the city of North Charleston? So I work wow. at the. So I teach swim lessons at the North Charleston Aquatic Center. Okay. So all of us had to go do an active shooter training, um, and the officer that was doing this training was talking about you know being able to protect yourself and you know that somebody could do as much damage with a knife as they could an AR-15 and I just I keep going back to number one no you can't right number two we saw in Uvalde that officers wouldn't approach that because they know an armed human being with an AR-15 is a threat yeah yeah we know that so it's just absolutely crazy to me that this is, you know, every other month we're having to have the same conversation that, you know, school kids shouldn't have to play dead in their friend's blood to yeah. try and survive. Yeah, it's 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 really disappointing that we we can't find a solution to this, but for right. some reason we can find a solution to the abortion problem by right. just banning abortion. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ultimately, I think a lot of what's going to come down to uh, the gun violence and curtailing that mm-hmm. it's. Because at a federal level, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't either. My suggestion would be at the state level, at least instituting or or sponsoring a bill that would provide grant money to mm-hmm. every one of our universities in South Carolina to potentially start looking into to to research, right. you know, and and create a database of this violence. I know that the news media does it, but sometimes that data is skewed. Mm-hmm. The CDC is not allowed at any at, at any level to do any research into gun violence, like. Mm. It's an epidemic, yeah. but we're not allowed to do, we're not allowed to allow, <laughs> we're not allowed to let our, the, the organization under our federal government that literally does research yeah. into, can't do it. Yeah. Uh, but South Carolina, I think that with, with the right people involved, we could have uh, research done at universities mm-hmm. uh, that could then be provided information because ultimately nobody's going to do anything if they don't have numbers to back it up. Right. And those numbers can't come from the news. The numbers can't no. come from the the AP or Reuters or anything like that. It's it's got to come from a reputable source inside. Mm-hmm. State's going to have to pay for that. Yeah, and honestly, it, like South Carolina should prioritize investing in our people, and yeah. that is just one piece of the pie. Um, I actually was at Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Policy and Research the summer of 2019. Okay, um, they did a summer youth institute for activists and organizers from around the country. And it was like 16 to 18 year olds or something. Maybe it was 16 to 20 year olds, whatever it was. It was one student from every single state in at Johns Hopkins doing like a three and a half, four day training on gun violence prevention work and the policies that states across the country have implemented and the success that they've seen. And how do we as you know, advocates in our own communities take back that same message and that same information and apply it to our state. Yeah. So one of my main priorities has for the last four years of my life been gun violence prevention and it 100% will continue to be one of my main priorities. And so, you know, hopefully I can get into the state house and try and, you know, sponsor legislation to try and do something because South Carolina, we just cannot continue down this road. Yeah. Well, I am inspired. I think, uh, I I think that, uh, once we get you elected that, uh, that you will, you will definitely represent the 
people at Dorchester and women in South Carolina because I hope so. I think the South Carolina would benefit from having you in office and uh, providing uh, the necessary perspective that 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 is that I I just don't think is there right now. Totally agree. And and if and I appreciate that. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else that you want to provide I, or say? Because uh, I will say this: uh, check the show notes because okay. there's going to be a link uh, in the show notes where you can go directly to the Act Blue site for Sydney. Uh, and uh, and donate to our campaign. Uh, again, that campaign that those donations are going to go uh, to spreading the information that Sydney is running. It's going to get her involved, or it's going to get her in front of people uh, so that she can discuss the campaign and what's important and why she's running. Um, so, is there anything else that you want to you want to discuss before we uh, before we sign off? I don't know. I mean, I think the my one of my main priorities outside of, you know, winning come November <laughs> is being, you know, a representative that South Carolina doesn't have yeah. in terms of age and, you know, experience and being accessible and being there for my community because I have skin in the game. Yeah. I mean, I, chances are I'm going to be here for another 60 plus years. <laughs> so I would like to see South Carolina be more than just, you know, bare minimum good enough. And yeah. I don't want our community, I don't want our state to ever settle for mediocrity. And I don't think we ever should. And I think that the first step to that is, you know, recognizing where the problems are. And if we're not seeing, you know, progress and again, you know, progress has kind of a negative connotation in terms of, you know, progressive whatever. Right. It, it because the opposite not. of pro like progress is regress yeah. and yeah i can guarantee that i do not want that yeah. no. and we shouldn't want that we should always be striving to to be better for each other and for our communities and so my my number one thing is even if you're not voting for me i encourage everyone to go vote and make sure you know who's running at every level um democracy only works when we make it work for us yeah um so yeah I just I, I just want to make sure that uh, everyone knows. So mm -hmm. District ninety eight. Yep. Uh, the uh, general election is going to be November eighth. Yep. Uh, and if you are listening to us from uh, the Dorchester District ninety eight, uh, just know that it's Sydney walking around. And how so? How many homes do you figure you're going to try? Do you okay? So a lot. I don't. I don't. I don't see you wearing any sort of like uh, Apple Watch or Fitbit or anything like that. No. You're gonna want to calculate those steps. I probably will. I had to. <laughs> I had to quit wearing my Apple Watch because it became almost an obsession. An obsession. Yeah. So, you know, trying to hey, take a break up. from that. But, I understand. But I will likely have it on when I'm doing these door knockings to see, you know, how much I'm walking around the <laughs> around the community because it's gonna be a lot. I, and I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I want to be able to reach the community and reach the voters where they are and be able to interact with them on a one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. Absolutely. No, and, and I, I look forward to uh, to seeing more that, that you put out there because uh, I, I am... I am. I am hopeful. I, Thank you. Me too. I think that. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity. With, like I said, between you and Ryan and, mm -hmm. and 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 everyone that's running that that is that is younger than me. Uh, I I find it encouraging. Uh, so you know, very much. Good luck on the campaign. If there's anything else, if there's anything that we can do for you on the show, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out to us. We'll 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 
put out whatever you need us to. Definitely. Uh, and if it ever comes down to the point where you are afraid to ask for money, I told Daniel the same thing. <laughs> I will come up there and stand in front of a crowd and say, look, get off your asses. There's, there's, just donate. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't have any problem with it. I've 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 had so many people ask me for money that I feel <laughs> like I owe it to them to to ask now. So, thank you very much, Sydney, for being on the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, again, check the show notes. Uh, real quick, I also want to make sure that I, I I bump the microphone and tell everybody. Um, theallaboutnothing.com. If you have not uh, checked your voter registration, you can now go to our website and check your voter registration. And I encourage everyone across the country to check your voter registration because there are games being played in some states and uh i i, I just want to make sure that uh you know where you're going what you have to do to vote uh, because i feel like every state is going to wind up trying to make it more difficult also uh election poll clerks and managers needed for the november 8th election absolutely i know it's a big ask but if you're able and you have the time and ability uh, every county in this country is in need of poll workers for the upcoming general election on November 8th in order to provide polling locations uh, that are the most convenient, strengthening voting accessibility, county election officers need help. So you can Google your election poll work uh, working for the zip code that you're in and it'll bring back the necessary information with a web page where you can potentially volunteer. Uh, you get paid for it. So I do it. And if I can do it, everyone can do it. Uh, so make sure you do that. As always, thank you, Nick the Geek, engineer and producer, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. Check out details on how you can utilize his talent and production expertise at GOTSoundStudio.com. Thanks to Muff the Producer. You can follow him on Instagram at Muff the Producer. Thanks to Shiana Rivers for our intro and outro. Follow her podcast, Who You Callin' Holistic. As well, a thanks to Trent Clark, a.k.a. DJ Lonzo, currently entertaining the main course in Columbia, South Carolina. Make sure to go by, have a good time. You can contact Trent for all your entertainment needs. Trent at theallaboutnothing.com and on Instagram at therealdjlonzo or by phone 803-262-7982. If you enjoy the show, consider becoming a patron by visiting our website and clicking on the link at the top of the browser. That will take you over to our Patreon page. You can find details on how you become a supporter. You can check out our benefits there or just consider a donation so that we can continue to bring you this nonsense. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy you enjoying it. As always, you can follow us on Facebook. Just search for All About Nothing US on Twitter and Instagram at AAN underscore pod or find links to all of our social media and available podcast platforms by visiting theallaboutnothing.com. If you'd like to be heard on the show, you may call and leave us a message, 803-672-0533. If the time between these episodes is too far apart, you can fill that time by checking out our partner podcast. Zach and I host What the Pod Was That with Carrie Simmons, available on most of your podcast platforms. You can visit whatthepodwasthat.com for links and details. Carrie and Chrissy host Status Macabre on most of the podcast platforms as well. Find details at statusmacabre.com. As well, you can check out our own DJ Lonzo's Top 5, hosted by Trent Clark, available on most of your podcast listening platforms. Sydney, thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Good, good. All right. This is the All About Nothing podcast. Everybody, you stay safe and have a great week. This The All About Nothing podcast is recorded live from the Maddie Johnson podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. The All About Nothing podcast is produced and engineered by Neek the Geek, owner and operator of GOT Sound Studio. To support the show, please visit theallaboutnothing.com for links to social media, merchandise, and more. Become a patron of the show by following the Patreon link at the top of our page. The All About Nothing podcast is an entertainment product of Barrett Gruber. Special thanks to Zach King, Trent Clark, Muff the Producer, Neek the Geek, and you, our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you're on YouTube, please hit the like button and the notification bell. Thank you for listening. <laughs>